0: Hey everyone, this is Charlie Lofton, lead pastor at the Grove Church, and thanks for joining us on our Cultivate podcast. And we're in a series where we're working our way through just kind of the big picture of the Bible, the chronology of it. It's called, uh, we're used, barring some material that um, I first encountered when, uh, almost 20, over 25 years ago. Uh, that's developed by Robert Cup and Fellowship Northwest Arkansas. It's called Panorama of the Bible. We're kind of breaking the Bible down into 12 sections chronologically to kind of help us understand the big picture story of the Bible and ultimately to help us understand where the different pieces fit together. We started with the prologue, which is Genesis 1 through 11, which kind of gives us the intro to the main character of the Bible, which is God and kind of the main conflict, which is uh, the people that he's created and the people that he created for relationship and the people that he created for worship and then he made creation so that they could celebrate and, and enjoy this with him are essentially rebellious and selfish. And how what is God going to do about that? And we we see this in the Garden of Eden. We see it with Noah. We see it in the Tower of Babel. And that gives us kind of the intro to this conflict. But then in our second one, uh, last last episode, we looked at the patriarchs and we see this new idea that God has on how to reconcile the world to him and to restore this idea that the world be full of people who are in a covenant worship relationship with God. And so he calls Abram and he makes this covenant with him to say that he was going to turn him into a great nation and through him would bless every nation and every every group of people on the earth. And so God has this plan of kind of raising up a group of people to show the world what a covenant relationship with God looks like. So, so the overwhelming blessing, the connection, the, the spiritual and personal prosperity that comes from that, that God's going to bless them so much that all of the world is going to be attracted to that and want to be in a covenant blessing relationship with, with the one true God. And so that we see that pass from Abraham to his son, Isaac. And from Isaac, he had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and it passes to, to Jacob. And then from Jacob, he has 12 sons, which become the the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And most of the story centers around uh, Joseph, even though kind of the, the the primary blessing of kind of where the uh, is, is really going to ultimately come through Judah, who is going to be the, um, the great, great dot, 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 dot grandfather of King David and ultimately of Jesus. So we're going to see that part of the blessing primarily go through Judah, even though the story is primarily about Joseph, but ultimately the blessing extends to all 12 tribes who become kind of the foundational patriarchs for the entire Jewish nation. And in that story that we left with Joseph, he is sold into slavery by his brothers, ultimately ends up in Egypt as a slave and through some integrity on his part, some luck, quote unquote luck, but really the hand of God, he ends up as the second in command of all of Egypt, overseeing Egypt and really the whole region as as kind of a governor and navigating them through this this terrible famine. And so again, through Jacob and his other and Joseph's other brothers coming to Egypt to buy food, they ultimately are reunited with Joseph and after a while end up moving, moving to Egypt to be with Joseph. And so we end, uh, we end Genesis with Jacob, 12 sons. They are, they are in Egypt and they are no longer in the land that God has promised. And we see this, this, this theme that we've already seen a little bit in Genesis and we'll continue to see in different parts of the Old Testament of just this idea of, of God's people not looking to God for help in trouble, but looking to Egypt. And Egypt kind of becomes not just, not, not just the country, but also just a symbol for a kingdom of power, a kingdom of taking, a kingdom of greed. not a, a kingdom that is focused on the worship and connection and being in a covenant relationship with God. And so we really kind of have the, the, the most serious example of this here, where they have now moved, not just simply are, are eating the food and buying food from Egypt to take care of them during a famine, but are actually living there. And once the famine is over, they don't move back. And again, this is some significant foreshadowing that ends up with us in Exodus chapter 1. And ultimately, the name of this section is called Redemption and Wandering. And in Exodus chapter 1, we see this. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And ultimately what we need, we need a verse here, it says, and so then of course they moved back to the promised land to live in the place that God had set for them so they could be a nation set apart to be the blessing and all these things. But that is not what happened. They stay in Egypt. Verse eight, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. So what we have here is that ultimately a Pharaoh comes into power who does not know about what Joseph did or just doesn't care about what Joseph did. Doesn't care that Joseph essentially saved Egypt and, and led them well through this famine and was second in command. They didn't, he didn't, they didn't care about any of that. And ultimately all they see in Israel is a, is a threat. They, they are experiencing and seeing how God is prospering them and they see it and they see it as a threat. And so the people who have been living and depending on Egypt rather than living in God's promised land and depending on Him are ultimately placed into slavery. And what happens is is that this is the situation for them for four hundred years. And if you just want to ask about the things that just kind of make me just kind of go, "Whoa!" We've kind of talked about one of them with Noah, essentially him wiping out the entire population except for Noah and his family. But he's like, well, the the grace of God was that He gave them a hundred and twenty years to repent and join the Noah team, and they didn't. And we got another one here. It's like, man, for four hundred years they lived in slavery in Egypt. I mean, that that's 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 serious. That's like that, that that's that's a that's a whoa kind of moment because ultimately, by the time the story of Moses, who's going to be our main character here in this section of redemption and wandering. Ultimately, the, by the time we come to here, man, there is no one in Israel who ever met anyone who met anyone who was, who was not a slave. So you're a young guy and you know your grandpa and your grandpa, his grandpa, he, he, all, the, all anybody knew of anybody knew of anybody was slavery and, and this dark situation. And so it really is just kind of a really heavy moment in here of just like of really what the consequences are of looking to this this kingdom, this kingdom of, of Egypt rather than going to and looking to God. So but ultimately it says that God hears the cries of his people and, and essentially is going to raise up a deliverer. And that's where we meet Moses. And we meet Moses during a time when there is a significant oppression going out. Uh, from the Egyptians onto the Hebrews where they're so worried about them. That's like, we're just going to, we need to start killing some of their, their sons. And ultimately Moses's mom protects him by putting him in a basket and sending him down the river, which is a little bit scary, but it's better than him been dying. And then ultimately the, the princess of Egypt finds him and raises Moses as her own son and so what we have here is God has raised up an Israelite by by birth and still has some connections with his birth family. Because again, just through some awesome machinations, the hand of God and a very clever mom and sister, the his birth mom ends up being his nursing his nurse as well, but he is raised as a prince of Egypt. Maybe you've seen the movie by the same name. So he's a prince of Egypt. And so what we have here is someone who is going to be raised in the house of Pharaoh, raised as a noble um, and has all this power, all this influence, all these connections, but is also an Israelite. And as he grows to become an adult, um, he begins to see the oppression of his own people and his heart begins to break. And then he makes the mistake of rather than doing something constructive about it, he kills an Egyptian. And the word of this begins to get out and other Israelites are kind of taunting him about it. Ultimately, the current Pharaoh hears about it. It was probably a you know, brother or cousin to, brother, cousin, uncle to, to Moses. And, and he said, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna kill Moses and Moses has to flee. And again, the timeline of this, Moses who we can very tell is that God is gonna be the one that he, God is gonna use to deliver after this murder, he, he goes and lives in the wilderness for 40 years. Forty years. I mean, just 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 the time the timelines here of just what it really takes to kind of oh re- reform to 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 bring to bring healing. We have these pretty lengthy periods of time. But ultimately, why is there, and maybe you're familiar with this story, Moses encounters God on a mountaintop when he sees a, a burning bush that it's on fire, but will not be consumed by the fire. And in that, he hears the voice of God, and God calls him to go and free the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Moses tries to talk back and say, I'm not, I'm not the one, not me, I'm not a very good talker. And It's like, it is you, go do it. So Moses goes back to Egypt, reunites with his brother Aaron, and together... They go and talk to Pharaoh. Again, no, no regular Israelite would have been able to do this because he has the access because of who he is. He's able to get an audience before Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh to let people go. And, and, and then if you're familiar with this story, it's kind of the, the 10 plagues. These 10 plagues where you know the Pharaoh would say that he, yeah, you can let him go. I'll let him go and then changes his mind. And God brings all of these plagues on the people of Israel. Uh, against, against the people of Egypt. And ultimately each one of these plagues, it's pretty cool when you kind of get in the weeds of it. Each one of these plagues is connected to one of the gods of Egypt. And so he's make he's communicating both to his people, the Israelites and to the Egyptians that the gods that they have put their faith and their trust in are actually controlled by the capital G God. These are not real gods capital G God is the real God and that the God of Israel is the real God. And so even in these plagues, we are seeing moments of God reaching out to the Egyptians. Like you don't understand what you've done here. You, you have God's people. You need to repent of these false gods and you need to understand, recognize the blessing that I have on my people and rather being threatened by it, by enslaving them, by trying to murder them. You need to reject your gods and follow me. And so even in the punishment, there are glimpses of God's grace and his desire, not just to redeem the Israelites, but to also let that blessing spread to the Egyptians. And so he is giving, even in, especially I think in all of these plagues, he is giving opportunity for the Egyptians to to turn from all of their own sin and recognize God and follow God instead. And I think also we see the the incremental nature of these plagues that that, that, that they get progressively worse. He's just giving them an opportunity, but it ultimately ends with the firstborn of every family in Egypt uh, dying. And ultimately Pharaoh finally releasing uh, the Israelites to go. So Moses is leading them. They ultimately get to the Red Sea, and they're going to have a difficult time crossing. And at that point, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army after them. And again, a story that you may be familiar with: God is there with them. Moses lifts up his hand; the Red Sea parts. The Israelites walk across on dry ground. And by the time they get across, the army is behind them, and they get swept up in um, by the water. And God and God saves them. And so now we have them on this journey as they're moving from Egypt to the back to the land that God has promised them, the land where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, where they had all lived to go back to that from Egypt. And again, this story has just a lot of cycles to it where they they get concerned, they get frustrated that God isn't providing well enough. And we see a combination as we see all throughout the scripture of a very gracious God who is very patient. But at the same time, is there are consequences for the sin and rebellion against God. And kind of one of the culminating moments of this happens in Mount Sinai. And this Mount Sinai, they kind of have this renewal of the covenant. Uh, Moses goes up the mountain to meet one-on-one with God, which is where he gets the Ten Commandments, which kind of start then uh, the law. And while this is happening, Aaron, his brother, and all the people... Moses has gone too long. They get scared and they decide to build a golden calf idol. And so just a real interesting picture of God kind of revealing himself in this very personal way to Moses, kind of reinforcing this covenant, putting this law together to help them understand how to live. While you've got this incredible connection happening between Moses and God, we've got this people dancing around this golden calf and, and worshiping an idol that is meant to represent God. We've got this great rebellion that's happening at at the bottom. And so Moses comes down. I mean, and it it just goes about the way that you expect. I mean, Moses is mad. God's mad. People get punished. But it really becomes this really kind of sacred moment for them. As Moses reaffirms this covenant, we have this rebellion. We have the repentance from it. And the hope then is that this is going to be a real big turning point for the Israelite and it and it is it is a very significant time for them is when they look back on Mount Sinai, this place this time is a very holy time for the Israelites. So they continue on, they're working their way back to the promised land, and finally they get to the very edge of it, and they send out twelve spies, two of which are named Joshua and Caleb and Of these twelve spies, only Joshua and Caleb come back and say, "Hey, they're kind of big and scary, but God is God, let's go do it, and everybody else, the other ten get really, really scared. And they say that we, we shouldn't do it. And God gets really mad. He's like, I thought you guys trusted me and they don't. And so he says, well, fine. Anybody who's an adult right now will never get to go to that promised land. And it said, you're gonna have to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And once you're all dead, we'll, see, we'll give your kids another shot. And they're very upset. And they're like, no, 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 we can do it. And so they decide to go fight the next day anyway, but without God's blessing with them. And they get routed. And so ultimately then what Moses has to do is lead them away from the promised land where they essentially just kind of wander around in the wilderness for 40 years where what God said would happen, happened. All the people who were adults, um, they pass away except for Joshua and Caleb who God promised because you were faithful and gave a good report, I'll let you see the promised land. And so after these 40 years they're going to end up back at the promised land, but not before Moses kind of has his bad moment where the people are complaining again that they don't have any water. And the last time that this happened, God said, hey, hit the rock, hit this rock with a stick and I'll make water come out of it. And it did. The next time that this happens, uh, God says, I want you to talk to the rock. And instead of talking to the rock, Moses hits it with his stick twice, which is, again, it's, is, is, is an act of rebellion against God it is defying God. And because of the leadership position that Moses had, and not just simply just being someone who complains about God, but essentially defies God as a leader in the presence of everyone, God says, well, that's going to be it for you. I'm going to let you lead them all the way back to the promised land, but you're not going to get to go in either. And so then they ultimately then end end up back at, on the edge of the promised land and he lets Moses get up on a mountain and see it, but he doesn't get to enter it. And instead, Joshua is going to be the one that gets to lead the people into the promised land, which will then ultimately lead us to section number four. And so this, this basically the, the, this section on redemption and wandering covers the next four books of the Bible, um, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it includes these stories that go from them being enslaved to the story of Moses to the 10 plagues, their, their journey out of Egypt, their, their defiance, they in Canaan on the edge of the promised land, their wanderings, and they get back. It also includes a giving of the law, not just the 10 commandments, but all of the law that they are supposed to live by once they are uh, established as their own nation their dietary laws, their government laws, and their 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 moral laws. I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, but you just need to write that down somewhere. There's three different categories essentially for these laws. Some are some are just really these kind of health codes. Some of them are health codes, legal codes. Kind of, that's one of them. Another one is kind of about how they're supposed to worship, and the other ones are moral codes. And so when you ask kind of the question is like, well, which one of these are kind of stick? It's, it's the one where God declares what is good and what is bad. We worship differently now. And obviously we govern ourselves differently now, but it's really more about the moral code. But this all happens. You get this in Leviticus numbers. Again, we're just kind of, we're doing a lot of census taking. We're wandering around again. And Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. It's really what that means. Second law. And so they're on the edge of the, of the promised land again. And as they're about to go in, Moses is like, hey, you need to remember the law and essentially repeats the law to them again. So if you're ever reading through the Bible and you're going through Leviticus and it's got all the laws in there and you're like, man, that was difficult to read. That wasn't enjoyable. And then you walk around to Deuteronomy. He's like, I think I've read all of this before. I assure you have. And it was just two books ago. And that's why most people get discouraged as they're trying to read through the Bible as a whole. They struggle through Leviticus because reading all of these laws seems tedious. And if you survive that, you get to Deuteronomy where you have to read it all over again and most people quit. So if you're trying to read through the Bible a year, I encourage you keep going past Deuteronomy. It's worth it. The story gets really interesting when we get to Joshua. So again, we've got recovering these four books. Exodus, which is primarily the story of Moses, how they got out, going to Sinai, the beginnings of the law. Leviticus is just kind of a full rendering of the law. Numbers are taking a census, we get some, get some more information on the story about the wanderings around and the rejection there in Canaan right before they have to wander. And then Deuteronomy, where they find themselves back on the edge, ready to take over again. But Moses reads the law to them one more time, and it ends with the death of Moses. So we're now three sections deep here. We've talked about the prologue, we kind of get the intro to the characters, the main themes. Uh, the relationship between God and his people, his need and his desire to reconcile them to himself. And we see just kind of begin the character of God and how he's gonna react to this rebellion. We see this plan that comes to fruition there and with the patriarchs as God is raising up his own own tribe, his own people through Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then through the 12 tribes. And then because of their dependence and their leaning on Egypt over God, they find themselves in a really difficult situation in slavery for a long period of time. But God, who never gives up on anybody, no matter how serious or significant their failure, or their sin is, raises up Moses to come in to redeem them, to bring them out, and to take them to the promised land, to which they fail the first time, they wander around, and they're back for a second, second go around, which again will lead us to section four, starting with the book of Joshua. So I encourage you, I encourage you to keep staying with this, keep listening to this podcast so we can get this big picture idea, story of kind of how the whole Bible fits together. And as always, we'd love to see you. I'm Charlie Lofton, lead pastor at The Grove. We would love to see you on a Sunday morning. If you're local, you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, get all the details you need about the wins and wares of our service. And if you're not, you can join us online. You get the details about that at thegrovechurch.org slash connect To Catch one of our streaming services. Either way, we'd love to know that you're listening. Any way that you can help us, you can fill out that card there at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. Again, thanks for joining us on our Cultivate podcast.